Well, good morning. It's good to be together. And I pray that as we were singing there, much more than the music, like the, the arrangements and all that, the words, I pray that as you were singing those words, that it stirred your heart to want to hear of Christ and make him known. I do have a couple of announcements. Before we dive in here, one, uh, in your bulletin, um, just as a reminder to all those who uh, served or currently serve in any one of our student ministries from nursery through youth ministry, there is a appreciation lunch for you right after service today. So it'll be in the room right here, multi-purpose room. So please, please come. Hey, if nothing else, l- lunch has been resolved for you. <laughs> So it's all it's for you and your family, by the way, you know. So don't feel, you know, you serve that maybe none your your spouse or something uh, serves somewhere else. This is for the whole family. So uh, we invite you to that again. Those who served all of last school year and those who currently serve even now uh, in any one of our student ministries, there's an appreciation lunch for you. And uh, last announcement: uh, October eighth. So for men, for the men, please calendar this. Save the date. October 8th uh, will be our next um, encouraging biblical manhood. We're back to breakfast, 7 a.m. 7 a.m. on October 8th for the men. All right, with that, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we need your help. We need your help to be able to understand and fathom your truth. Lord, we've had the joy this month focusing on missions. And I pray for this morning as we close off this month, as it were, that we be reminded of why we even do these things. And so we need your help. We need eyes to be able to see and we need ears to be able to hear. So I pray, God, grant us the ability, God, to take in what it is you have for us this morning. I pray, God, that our hearts are stirred, transformed, our minds are renewed, And it's only through you that all that can happen. So I beg of you, God, to do the work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. So we get to wrap up our annual missions month. And I pray that you all have been encouraged, reminded, maybe even convicted. That there's been given this work of God's grand vision to save his people, both locally and globally. So this morning, we're going to turn to a number of texts. So we're not necessarily going to be just in one particular passage. And my hope is to encourage you with regard to the responsibility of the local church in God's mission. You know, we've been hearing all month regarding missions, the call to go, the call to send. Last week, the Great Commission, we've been... Hearing all month of this, of this task that the Lord has given us to preach the gospel, to make disciples of all the nations, to baptize them. And in and of ourselves, that work seems impossible. Because it is. Which is why He, Christ, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the Christ who has defeated death, who has defeated all earthly powers, The Lord who has made His enemies His footstool. The Lord Jesus says He will be with us in this time. You know, this may feel too big. This may feel too grand. And much like any other sphere of life, when something feels too big, when something feels too grand, what often happens is we get overwhelmed. And then when we get overwhelmed, then we feel stuck. Paralyzed. We don't know what to do. And when we hear missions, most of the time, we associate that with 
cross-cultural work. Going somewhere else. Going to a different country and spread the gospel of Christ. And that is awesome. Because we need people to go. You can look up all the stats. And some of that was referenced last week. Over 3 billion, billion with a B, 3 billion unreached people with no access to the gospel. No access to the gospel. So yes, we need people to go. We need followers of Christ who are convinced of His glory so much so that they're willing to go somewhere else. But what about the vast majority of believers, the vast majority of you, sitting here this morning, who are called to stay? What about you? Does it feel like there's been a letdown? You know, does it feel like you tried out for the team and you didn't make the cut? Oh, there's, there's always a short-term missions trip for you. Is that how it feels? Where, where maybe I'm in a different, uh, different column of Christianity? That somehow the, that, the fact that I'm staying, I'm, I'm not committed. Then maybe the one who's called to go. Is that the case? You know, if you somehow feel this way, then in love I want to tell you that this mindset is foreign in Scripture. It's foreign. As John Piper famously said, in God's mission, and yet I said mission, not missions, because God only has one mission. So in God's mission, there are senders and there are goers. There's no third category. And so may Cornerstone be a church that sends and that goes. The title of the sermon is The Responsibility of the Local Church in God's Mission. What we'll be discussing this morning is that God, through His Word, instructs us what our responsibilities are. And as we fulfill those responsibilities, we get get a front row seat. We We get a front row seat as to what it is God will do. And so for the purposes of your notes, if you are taking notes, our outline this morning is twofold. First, the responsibility of the local church and God's mission is to preach Christ. Preach Christ. Second, and last, the responsibility of the local church in God's mission is to serve. Preach Christ. Serve Christ. These are the responsibilities of the local church in God's mission. This is our purpose, and may we be faithful in carrying out these responsibilities locally and globally. So there's a lot of work to do. Before we dive into these points, I felt it necessary to make sure that we know and we're convinced the very foundation of why we even do this. You know, some of you in your profession or even at school, maybe you're curious as to why you do certain things. What's the why? I've been given this task, but what's the why? Why do we preach Christ? Why, Why do we serve Christ? It would serve us well, your church, to know why we do these things. The answer to that is the glory of God. The reason, dear church, you should do everything for the glory of God is because God does everything for the glory of God. You know 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. From the most mundane, everyday things like eating and drinking to the grandest of things in whatever it is you're doing. Whatever it is, do all for the glory of God. So when we talk about the glory of God... What we're saying is, he's number one. He's the priority. He gets, uh, he, he, he's the foremost on my mind. He gets the one seat that's in my heart. That's his. No one else deserves any worship. No one else deserves any praise. When we talk about the glory of God, what we are saying is that he's preeminent. He's my all in all. Your thoughts are captive to him. You you orient your life based on what he has prescribed. You begin to prioritize him. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. 
Like I mentioned, we're going to be in a number of texts this morning. Exodus chapter 3. So read along with me, starting in verse 10. This great account of Moses, where we get to know God in a personal way. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. God does everything for God's glory and therefore we do everything for God's glory. God's glory is the great mission for our local church and for each one of you individually. You know, unless we think this sounds so selfish, so narcissistic. Oh, it's, it sounds just like our culture. Me, me, me. It's all about me. If we're thinking this way about God's glory, that He's self-centered, it's because we don't understand God's glory. Or it could be that some of you here may not even know who God is. That you have yet to come, in, come to faith in God's glory manifested in the God's glory personified in the person of Christ. So may today be the day when you are stunned by His glory. You're, you're undone. The, the, your, your eyes have been opened. You get to see Christ for the very first time, transformed by His glory. And Because as the text we just read, powerfully proclaimed, God says, I'm the I am. I am who I am. He is the Lord. And what does that even mean? It means this. That in God, the I am, the Lord, is absoluteness. That He has no beginning. That He has no end. Refer back to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God. God was there. In the beginning, God. There was God had no beginning. God is absolute reality. There's no reality outside of God. Before creation, there was no space. You know, before creation, there was no emptiness. There was no void. He created all that. For His glory. You know, the best we can do is virtual reality. I don't know if you've ever put those goggles on. It's kind of crazy, actually, how that you know, the, how it can orient your mind, virtual reality. And this is the best we can do because we feel like we're in control and, and we can feel like we are the creators or, or, of our own universe in the, in the metaverse, if you will. You can, you can buy land. You can, you can purchase real estate. You can go shopping. You can, you can have virtual dates. You can earn virtual currency and you can escape to your own world and even the coolest of virtual realities eventually loses its luster. Eventually the battery is going to run out. And eventually the law of diminishing returns still applies to anything and everything not of God. And so the great I am, the fact that God is, means that everything else is secondary. You see, with God, we can talk in absolutes. We need to be careful of us to be talking in absolutes, but God, He can talk in absolutes because that's who He is. He never lies. He always does what He says. He never changes. He's always faithful. He will never leave you nor forsake you. When He says He is with you, He means it. 
He's the absolute standard. We don't need to reference anything else but what He has given us through His Word. We don't need to reference anything, any anything crazy on YouTube to, to inform us on what it is God has said. You can read it for yourself. What God has said. We don't need to reference anything else. God does whatever He pleases, and whatever it is He pleases to do is always right. Always good. Always good. God is transcendent above all earthly powers. And we need to be reminded of this. You know, I think people thought they believed that. I think Christians thought that they believed God is transcendent above all earthly powers. Matter of fact, I think some churches actually believe that. They thought they believed that God is transcendent above all earthly powers. And then we had some COVID roll through. And of course, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you had some uh, some uh, local and national and federal governments kind of step in and flex their muscles a little bit on what you can and can't do. And it says, "If God's reminding us, did you forget Isaiah chapter verse seventeen? All the nations are as nothing before Him; they are regarded by Him as less." and meaningless holy, holy, holy thrice holy God the whole earth is full of His glory you can look at all of creation and it shouts His glory Psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens declare the glory of God oh, why did God create the world? for His glory why did God create such beautiful landscape for us to take in? for His glory even when foolish men can look at the farthest star and we have some technology now that allows us to, to see things really far. But even when the foolish men see the farthest star or the farthest planet, and even still give glory to himself for that discovery, no, that, that's there to shout the glory of God. No, it's not about us. It's about him. And Isaiah 43, 7 says it so plainly. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed, even whom I have made. And this glory, dear church, is His. His alone. He says, My glory I give to no other. Isaiah 42, 8. I give this to no other. Nor my praise to carve idols. God was. God is. God will be. The great I am. The Lord. Yahweh. He is constant. He is ongoing. What does that even mean? It means that God doesn't improve over time. Like some, some bottle of wine or something like that. He doesn't mature with age like people. He doesn't, he doesn't need further development. God doesn't need improving. You can't improve on perfection. See, this is why God created the world. This is why you were created. This is your purpose. Glorify Him. God. And let's make sure we don't misunderstand this. Because when we glorify God, we're not beautifying Him. We're not beautifying Him. Yes, like some of you, man. Some of you here, you got an eye for decoration. You got an eye for decoration. You can take a room that's otherwise like plain, unassuming, kind of bland, kind of, uh, you know, blah. And you could splash some paint Maybe throw down a decorative rug, maybe a side table, some lamps, a candle, some pillows. Boom. Room looks great. Beautify. This is not what happens when we glorify God because He's already beautiful. He's already perfect. I simply just need to proclaim who He is. Christ is His own attraction. So do you believe that? Because many churches say they believe that, but if you look closely enough, and if you listen closely enough, it's obvious that Christ isn't enough. We have, we have to add to God's glory. We have, we have to add to this message because our culture is too modern and our modern sensibilities, need, we need to understand God in some man-centered way. You know, when we glorify God, we magnify Him. 
Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. I'll read this to you. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You know, the word exalted there is the word magnify, to esteem highly. You know, we can magnify something by either looking through a microscope or by looking through a telescope. You know, when it comes to glorifying God, looking through one of those lenses is wrong. And unfortunately, many people, many churches are looking through that lens. And maybe you're looking through that lens. Let me explain. You know, we magnify His glory like a telescope. Not a microscope. Because microscopes make small things look bigger than they are. But telescopes take something unimaginably big and it makes it look more like what they really are. Our lives are to be telescopes for the glory of God. And people's hearts were made to know Him. But people's hearts were made to know this, to admire Him to magnify Him, to proclaim Him. Ecclesiastes tells us that God set eternity in their hearts. And this is why it hurts. This is why it hurts to see family members lost and close friends lost. Because you know their hearts ache. You you know their heart hurts. You know there's a void in their lives that only God can fill. Romans 1.23 tells us this, that people have willingly exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this is the problem. This is the problem right here in Natomas. We don't need to go very far. We want glory. And God already said He won't share it. But I want it. And so the glory of God, dear church, the I Am, reminds us that He has a name. He wants that name known because it's the name above every name. That to this name every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. And when we refer back to Exodus 3, God says, My name is Lord. That's where we get Yahweh because my glory is personal. It's meant to be savored. This isn't a title. It, it, you know, sometimes when we read Scripture and we see Lord, it, it can almost come off as a title. But this isn't a title. It's His name. Because titles are like king or senator or colonel. You know, titles make that person impersonal. You know, every once in a while during my, my drill weekends, if you will, my, my military weekends, people don't know my name. They just see whatever rank is on my uniform and they call me by that. It's completely impersonal. There's no meaning to it. Why? Because everybody else who wears that same thing, they get called by the same name. So there's nothing nothing special about me because other people wearing the same thing as I'm wearing get called by the same name. It's not special. Oh, but when someone calls me by my name, that's, that's specific to me. You have a relationship with me. You know me. And if we consider Jesus, what a name. Yahshua. Yah, God, Shua. God saves. That's where we, where we get from Yahweh, the name of God. So this Jesus, whom John the Baptist pointed to as the Savior to come. You know, this Jesus, whom the Apostle Paul said is the image of the invisible God, this Jesus of whom is worth knowing above everything else in this world, this Jesus whom the gospel accounts captured as saying before Abraham was, I am. Oh, the Jews knew what that meant. Jesus is claiming to be God. And this Jesus whom God is well pleased, this Jesus who is the mediator between God and man, this Jesus whom the scriptures speak of, through whom all things are created, through whom all things are upheld, this Jesus 
this great high priest, this Jesus who says, Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, you will be delivered. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who believe. Oh, Jesus is Lord. Yeah, he is Yahweh. And this is why we shout, Hallelujah, isn't it? Hallelujah. Give praise. Give worship. Yah. There we go again. God. Hallelujah. We give praise and we worship God. We praise the Lord. That's why we say, Hallelujah. What this world says, though, is, Hallelujah. You fill in the blank. Hallelujah. Me. Hallelujah. Baal. Hallelujah. In our, you know, general Old Testament context, Molech. Hallelujah. You fill in the book. Praise anything and everything except the one to whom all praise and glory is due. And oh, he has a name and his name is Lord. His name is Jesus. Think about this. God was not content. It's hard to even say that, that God's not content with something. But God was not content to simply be known by his attributes. And his attributes are great. His attributes are perfect. And he is loving. And he is kind. And it's fine to know God that way. But God himself was not content to simply be known by his attributes. No, he wanted you to know him. Do you know Christ? Like, know him. Not in an educational or intellectual way. No, but in an intimate way. You know him because your life is different now than what it was. You talk different. You think different. The words of this book, now it means something to you. You even spend your money different. Spend your time different. You want more of Him now. You get more of Him. You get satisfied. And it's almost a, a, a holy discontentment. You want more of Him. And then you get more full. And you want more of Him. And that keeps going. The glory of God is to be seen. It's to be shown. You see why a right, proper understanding of the glory of God is vital. It's foundational to understanding our responsibilities as a local church in God's mission. Because understanding this is what motivates. This is what captivates. This is what stirs the church into action. And it's primarily through the church that God has chosen to do this. You know, and this isn't a knock on sending agencies or missionary agencies at all. However, those agencies, though, are to be seen as a support. They're to be seen as some uh, a, a group or an agency coming alongside the one entity that God has given the primary responsibility of His mission. And the reason we want to make Him known is because He wants to be made known. God is passionate in being made known because in Him is life and in Him is joy and in Him is satisfaction. Even just sticking to the book of Exodus, multiple times, multiple verses, God says, you shall know that I am God. You will know that I am Him. I am God and there is no other that you may know, that you shall know. I made myself known all throughout this book. John chapter 12, verse 27, says this, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall, I, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Just write this down, John chapter 17, and Christ's high priestly prayer, there he even prayed, glorify me. Christ says, glorify me together with you. This is our responsibility. To glorify God to the exaltation of his son, Jesus. This is why we do anything. This is our motivation that Christ be at the center. And during this missions month, my heart's been, my heart's been stirred. It's been reminded of this mission. And this mission is as important here as it is anywhere. You know, there's over a million people in the Sacramento area. Over a million people 
in the Sacramento area, a couple hundred thousand people right here in Atomist. And we have responsibility because the glory of God is at stake. And I want us to be a church that God uses for His mission here and abroad. You know, it would serve us well to do things God's way. The church at Antioch, turn there, Acts chapter 13, is one such church. A church whom the Lord uses for His mission. So the first responsibility we are to consider from the example of the church at Antioch, we are to preach Christ. Preach Christ. This is what the church at Antioch did. I'm going to give you some context on the church at Antioch. While you're at Acts 13, I'm going to read Acts 11. So I just want you to listen. Just to give you some context on this local church. And here we're going to see when this church was planted. So Acts 11:19 says this. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone. Verse 20, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. You know, if you notice something there, that I believe the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us as a church. Okay? So as, a, as a local church here, the Apostle Paul is trying to remind us this church was planted. And what's interesting, who planted the church at Antioch? Okay. So that's a trick question. <laughs> we don't know. It just said some men. But there's some wisdom there, isn't there? God can use anybody. I think these men cared that they were named they only care that they were used by God. And so, notice something here. The church was planted, and they were speaking the word to the Jews only. They were just speaking to one group. In other words, they were just speaking to the group that they were comfortable with. Then in verse 20 of chapter 11, some of them began to preach the Lord Jesus to the Greeks. Other people groups who were there. And then what happened, says the hand of the Lord. Did you see that? When you preach Christ, exclusively Christ, to everyone around you, maybe not just the people whom you're comfortable with, He will be with you. And those whom He predestined, those whom He have called, will believe and turn to Him. You know, it, it saddens me. It actually makes me sick. You see video clips of jam-packed churches with rock star preachers who entertains the crowd with their jokes, captivates the crowd with their stories, and it makes me sad. Because after 15 to 20 minutes of that, and after all that entertainment, all the laughs, and all these people leave and go home, they're still as empty in their soul as they were when they first walked in. Nothing different than going to a movie or going to the bar to watch the game. Nothing different. Nothing has changed. And why? Because stories and jokes and laughs, those don't transform hearts. Christ and Him crucified, Him proclaimed, that's what transforms hearts. That's what gives life. And through Christ, someone who is dead can be made alive. You see, the world believes that Christ and preaching Him, it's silly. It's silly. It's foolish. Scripture tells us the world believes this message is foolish. And Paul even felt that pressure in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This message of Christ, Paul, that you're preaching, it's foolish. You're talking to Greeks, man, so you've you, you got to step up your, your intellect. You have to use big words to be able to, be able to attract them. This, this preaching of Jesus is too simple. It's too elementary. Jew, and Jews ask for signs. Greeks seek, search for wisdom. Paul, you you got to cater to that. And Paul said, no. no. I preach Christ. And I preach Christ crucified. 
Paul, you need to change it up. You need to draw in the crowd. You need to be more relevant. You need to wow the crowd with theatrics and signs. Or you need to add. Add to the message. And Paul said, no. I preach Christ. I make much of Christ. And God will be well pleased because He's ordained to bring glory to His Son. So that's what I'm going to preach. And as I preach Christ, the hand of the Lord will be with me. See, only our absolute God can speak in absolute terms like that. You know, we heard this last week with the Great Commission. As you do this, as you go and make disciples, and notice we're not in the business of making decisions. We're not going on to the world to make decisions. As we go and make disciples, Christ says, I will be with you. And he almost doubles down on what God said in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, God said, I will be with you. Christ doubles down on that in Matthew 28. I will be with you. In case you forgot. I will be with you. Always. And nothing has changed. Because back in Exodus, God gave Moses a task. And Moses is like, no, 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 not me. I stutter. I don't know what to say. I can't do it. I don't know what to do. That wasn't the point, was it? That wasn't the point. God knew he was weak. God knew that he didn't have the words to say, which is why he simply wanted to know, Moses, are you willing? Are you willing? Because if you're willing... Then Exodus 3, God says, I will be with you. What confidence that is. That's why we sing of Emmanuel, God, with us. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. And you've got to hang on to these absolutes because he's the only one that can say them. And may may this give us confidence as a local church that as we proclaim Christ where he has placed you, which right now is in Sacramento, And for the great many of you in the general Natomas area, as you carry out your responsibility in God's mission, that it will be successful. Why? Because God says it will be successful. He's gathering a people for himself. And for 16 years, the Lord has allowed for us to remain right here. So that tells me there are people chosen of God right here that need to hear the gospel. You know, maybe that's why we have empty chairs still. God's visible reminder, I'm not done yet. I'm not done. They are at your workplace. They're at your school. They're at the grocery store. They're in the sports leagues that you and your children are involved in. They're in restaurants. They're they're everywhere. And it's not our job to find them. It's our responsibility to And this message will remain foolish. It's going to remain foolish to this world. So, dear church, may we not lose heart. May we not doubt. Because God has always, there you go again, absolute. God's always done it this way. You know, when Israel was fleeing from Egypt, can you tell where I've been in my devotion times? (laughs) Been in Old Testament, the first books of the Bible. But when Israel was fleeing from Egypt, they're on the edge of freedom, man. They're, 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 they're fleeing from those who's oppressing them. They're on the edge of freedom. And they can almost see it. Oh, as if we just keep going, we're going to get away from those who are oppressing us. What did God tell them to do? Turn back. So if you were there on the precipice of freedom, and God says, turn back, you're going to think he's foolish. You're crazy. Why would we turn back? Freedom's right here. God says, no. I want you to turn back. But they're going to get us. God, what you have said is foolish. It's almost God saying, turn around. You may think what I'm asking you to do is impossible, but all things are possible with me. You need to have faith. You need to trust me. And if you trust me, you will be delivered. And when you're delivered, I will get the glory. That's the process. Trust me. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to get the glory. Remember the account of the walls of Jericho? Israel again was on the edge. Assuming the land, right? Flowing with milk and honey. This is our inheritance. But yet there's a wall in front of us. 
What are we, what are we going to do? Well, we're, we're going to go to war. We're preparing for war. And like any wartime strategy with a wartime force, they had options. Okay, here's a wall. We can just ram right through it. That's one strategy. We can, we can go over the wall and attack them that way. That's one strategy. We can build tunnels and go under the wall. Attack them that way. Or we can cut off supply lines. Just starve them to death. Any one of those sound, sound wartime strategy. What did God say? Actually, I want you to march around the walls. I want you to march around the walls for six straight days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around the walls even more. And then after that, I'm going to get some people to blow the trumpets. And when they blow the trumpets, then I want everyone to shout. So if I'm the general, and I just got my orders from God, I have to go back to the troops with this. All right, guys. Everything we've been training for, for war. God doesn't want to use you. He wants to use the band for this. Right. And you know, I look at our band, and they, you know, they look tough, man. You know, they look tough. But God's saying, the wartime force that you've been training to kill people, I don't want you to use them. I want you to use the guys with the instruments. Sounds silly. Actually, that message sounds foolish. All of these, right, in the world's eyes, it makes sense. But God told them, that's not the way. No, this is the way. And so, hey, Joshua, dare I say, is this message foolish? And we know what happens. If we remain faithful to carry out what God has prescribed, the hand of the Lord will be with us. And we know what happened in this account. Walls fall down. Israel moves into the land. They're in here. You see, this is how God does it. You trust God, He will deliver you, and He will get you. It's unfortunate that so much of the world's definition for success has been welcomed into Christ's church and has become the standard and measure for success, and it's usually related to numbers. You know, I think we need to be reminded that God's accounting, God's economy, I remember early on in the life of our church, it was probably two to three years in, and I was talking to someone who had been attending for a little while at that point, and I remember distinctly what they said to me after one, one particular service. They said, hey, man, if this church is in a certain number, if this church is in a certain size, by the time you celebrate your five-year anniversary, you should probably think about shutting it down. It may not be worth continuing if you remain small. And I thought, you see, when your vision is man-centered, then it must be man-maintained. And if it's man-maintained and man-centered, then do we think the hand of the Lord will be pleased with that? You know what? When your primary view is the glory of God through the preaching of Christ, and you get to see one, just one, come to faith in Christ. Just one. Did you know heaven? Luke 15, 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's football season. And when your team is about to score... They're on their way to the end zone. And once they score, there's a roar, isn't it? Celebration. Think about that. There's angels right now. And they're not omniscient, so they don't know. You know they don't know who's going to be saved, but there are angels. And when someone comes to faith in Christ, it's like the angels are, yes, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. You know, many years ago, the Air Force, as a part of their uh, recruiting initiative, came out with what they called Get One. I remember this. Get One. And the mission was simple. Get one person. Refer one person to join the Air Force. Now, what they didn't tell airmen was that the Air Force was actually in need of about 50,000 airmen. <laughs> we need 50,000 airmen to meet our end strength numbers. So in order to not overwhelm people, they simply said, just get one. Just get one. Because if just 10%, not even everyone, if just 10% of you, current service members, get one, just 10% of you get one, then our end strength will be met. Just one. In the last 16 years, we've seen people come to faith in Christ. We've seen people commit to Christ's church, become members. People get baptized. People get discipled. People mature in their faith. And we see those individuals growing, now teaching others. It blows my mind. It's a visible reminder to me. We don't need to add anything. Christ is enough. We don't need to add anything to his message. We don't need to be creative. We just need to be faithful in carrying out our responsibility. Preach Christ. And don't get me wrong, like, like the song, How Sweet and Awful is the Place. I, I, yes, I long to see thy church full. Full of worshipers who make much of Christ, who, who glorify him. I long for that. And when I think about our church, what if we practically set out to get one? You know, if even half of us got one, we'd probably need to go to two services. If even just half of us shared the gospel with one of God's elect, and through you, God saves that person, we'd probably go multiple services. We'd have to. We'd run out of room. And this is our mission. The chosen of Christ is out there, and you may be the one. Think about that. You may be the one he uses to bring them the gospel. And of course, there's discouragement when we visually see maybe like someone someone uh, um, going against you or say, ah, you know, I don't want to hear any of that. Or when we're not seeing a lot of people, but let's not get sad about it. You know, don't be sad because that one that was led to faith in Christ by you, that one but we'll be spending eternity thanking God for you. You know, I was given, I personally was given this reminder just a few weeks ago. We had some saints here from, from Hawaii come visit. And one of them was the very first person that shared the gospel with me. And every time I see him, my heart is stirred with gratitude. Thank you for sharing the gospel. So now, you're already in Acts 13. Our responsibility is to preach Christ. And our last point this morning, our responsibility is to serve Christ. Let's consider what's happening in this local church, the church at Antioch. This is the account, by the way, of the very first missionary journey. The very first one. So how did it even happen? What was the process by which the local church sent out people? Verse 1 of Acts 13. Now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers, Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So what were the members of the church doing? What were they doing? It says they're ministering. In other words, they were serving. So the members of the local church were busy serving the Lord in the church. And all of our home fellowship groups, by the way, have been focusing on this, your responsibility as a church member 
Because so much of church membership today can more closely be associated with a country club membership. I pay the dues so you can do all the work. I pay the dues, so why would I be expected to do anything other than just show up? And when I do show up, you do everything. Well, that may be appropriate for a country club of which you pay dues. It's completely inappropriate to have that mindset when it comes to Christ Church. Because being a biblical member of Christ Church is functional. It's functional. Being a biblical member of Christ Church means you give abundantly and you serve willingly. And don't misunderstand me saying you give abundantly that all that refers to is finances or things monetary. You think God needs our money? No, we get to do this, which is why in his wisdom, he simply said, this is a joy and out of a heart of gratitude and gladness, give. It doesn't give us an amount. That's not the point. The point is this, that in Christ church as members of Christ church we serve with no qualifications no contingencies we fight against this me first attitude and this isn't new those even closest to Christ his disciples they had a me first fight they had a me 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 fight with each other if you remember they argued regarding who would be the greatest and Christ told them Mark chapter 9, verse 35. If anyone wants to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Christ didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Oh, and serving the people of God, serving the local church, being faithful to serving in various ways, whatever the need may be, even if you believe that's not your gifting. Even if you believe that's not where I'm gifted, but here's what you have been gifted with, a heart to serve a heart to serve. And when you have God's glory in view and desire very much to proclaim His glory and His great name to all peoples, then wouldn't you do whatever is needed? We get an example of this with Isaiah being stunned by God's glory in Isaiah chapter 6. And he simply said, I'm here. Send me. He doesn't know what he's asking for. He simply said, God's glory is worth it. Whatever it is you have me do, I'll do it. Just send me. Because God's glory is visible. The church at Antioch and the people of that church served the local church because through that, they were serving the Lord and this church continued to preach the gospel of Christ and Christ's hand was with them and through carrying out the responsibilities, what happened? What happened? It says there, verse 2, while they were ministering, to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me, Barnabas. Set apart for me these two, because I have other work for them. The Holy Spirit said, Man, you think about that. The Holy Spirit said, I would have loved to hear how the Holy Spirit sounded. The Holy Spirit said, spoke, and in the context of serving God, serving God in the local church made it clearly evident, set apart these men. God called them to go to do what? Preach Christ? Serve Christ. People were getting delivered from their sin, getting saved, and God getting the glory. These two set apart so that they can do that again. They can preach Christ. My people whom I've chosen will be delivered, and I will get them. The local church is vital, isn't it? It's important. It's the one enterprise. The one that Christ is building. And through it, his manifold wisdom will be made known. And it is given responsibility to carry out what God has prescribed. So are you proclaiming Christ where you are? Are you serving Christ by serving his church? And by the way, serving by nature is inconvenient. It's inconvenient. And I say that because I fear that we've been conditioned to view serving as something additional. That if it could be fit into my schedule of everything else, then I'll, I'll sneak it in there. So serving Christ, dear church, in His local church, it's worth you moving other things around. We make time for things we prioritize, don't we? 
where on your priority list is serving the local church. Philippians 2.11 And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul quotes this from Isaiah 45. To Jesus is God. Jesus is God's glory manifested in the flesh. And in Philippians 2, which we often refer to as the humility chapter, Paul is appealing to us. Look to Christ. He didn't qualify his service. He just did it. That's what his steadfast love motivated him to do. He loves you because he does. He serves you because that's what he came to do. And so are you a member expecting to be served? Or are you a member expecting to be served? The word servant occurs many, many times in the New Testament. And the word serve occurs many, many times in the New Testament. So I think it's safe to say this is a problem for us. Serving is important, and serving is not about you. Serving is about God and His glory. So if you desire to be involved in God's mission, if you want to be a sender, if you want to be a goer, then serve His church. Faithfully serve His church. And if this is the church where you have committed and become a member, then this is where you're serving. Serve in any particular way. Whatever is needed. And in the midst of carrying out our responsibility, then that work will be made known in His glory. I want to conclude with this. You know, God's glory is the reason. This is the reason why just a couple weeks ago, we had a family come here and tell us of the work that the Lord had placed in their hearts to go across the world. To do what? To preach Christ? To serve Christ, to make His glory known. And how did that happen? It happened in them faithfully proclaiming and serving Christ where they are. And that local church affirmed that calling, and we want to be a part of it. And I desire one day that we, TCBC, that we would be able to send someone. You know, 16 years ago when we were sent to plant the church here, the church that sent us wasn't that much bigger than our current size today. And I'm not saying this to compare numbers or anything like that, but it's simply to say that wouldn't it be awesome if the Lord would use us in that way to plant a church, to spread His glory, to preach Christ so that people would get delivered and then God would get the glory and then those people would then serve Christ. I just think in our geographic area, there are cities around us that if I were to live there, I'm not sure if I would attend any of the churches presently there. Oh, let's pray that the Holy Spirit will set aside people from our church to do this work. I desire one day we send someone out globally to a people unreached with no access to the gospel. And I look forward to that person or persons, whoever they may be, to come back to TCBC, as Acts chapter 13 clearly lays out. When they come back to give a report of what God has done, then we can do what? Give God more glory and praise for what He has done. So many desires, desires for local outreach, desire for short-term missions. And I pray all this happens. But until this happens, may we be faithful in carrying out our responsibility in God's great mission to preach Christ and to serve Christ. Oh Lord, the responsibilities you've given us is clear. To make much of your son. To look to him and to point others to him. Oh Lord, I pray, may you, in your kindness, choose to use our church in these ways. And Lord, I pray, may we simply desire to be used of you in whatever way you decide to use us. Just willing to serve the King is enough. But I pray, God, give us the give us the great blessing of seeing a church plant from among us. Give us the great blessing, God, of being able to send someone 
to your unreached people so that they may be reached with the gospel of the glorious Christ. That they may be saved, they may be delivered, that they may continue to proclaim your glory to the ends of the earth. And until that work is done, may we continue to be faithful in carrying out these responsibilities. And we need your help, God. Because in and of ourselves, we can't do this. We are unable to sustain this. Because you are the vine and we are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Oh Lord, we need your help. May we desire very much your glory and to proclaim your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.